they they allow us to grow in a way, um, or in a new way, than if we just tried to tackle the Christian life on our own. And so, um, what I have found is that many people reach a limit in their growth and a pace in their growth when they stay just isolated. And so, there's usually a threshold that groups, once you get involved in group life and start connecting regularly with other people, it's kind of like a threshold of growth for people. And so, um, as you walk through that, what it does is people begin to ask you questions that you probably wouldn't be asking yourself. Or people are wrestling with things in small groups, and you just hear them. You hear them processing information, and they're asking questions and processing things that you, you may not have been thinking about. And so what it does is it raises issues and questions that, that kind of propel you forward and pull you along towards growth. And so I'd encourage you to consider, um, especially if you feel like you're, you're in a rut. If you feel like you're in a rut and you've never... It might be that you're standing at that threshold of growth and that a group like this, one of these groups, would really um, move you forward in, in your relationship to God. And so I'd encourage you to, to at least, at the very least, to begin to pray and to say, God, is this something you'd want me to sign up for this round? So I encourage you to do that. Let's, let's pray as we, before we dive into this message. Father, we, we just pause once again to just acknowledge that you are um, you're good, you're loving, you're faithful. And Lord, your ways are far different and higher than ours. And so we just acknowledge that we uh, we struggle, God, sometimes to get on board with the way you view things. Your thinking and your take on things is so far different than ours. So I pray that as we look at some issues from the Scripture this morning, Lord, that you would help us to identify the points where we differ from your ways. And that you would... You would nudge us, Lord, and you'd move us to, to make commitments in the heart that would lead us to um, real life change. So we, we ask you to help us with our ability to focus this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would truly teach us and connect the dots, God, in our own personal lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today what we're doing is we're wrapping up a message series. A message series is where we look for a, you know, a four, five, six weeks at a topic or a book of the Bible. So we've been looking at the book of the Bible, the book Jonah. And so this series is called Through God's Eyes, and we're wrapping this up today as we look at the final chapter of Jonah. And Jonah was an Old Testament prophet to the people of Israel. And this happened about 800 years before um, Jesus comes on the scene. So 800 B.C. range. And he is he's a prophet at a time when there's a lot of peace between Israel and their neighbors. And so this kind of peace time for Israel, God gives this man an assignment. And he says, I want you to go, and I want you to share a message to this group of people, the Ninevites. And this was an enemy, basically, a group of enemies. And But there was peace. And so, again, Jonah wasn't thrilled about going to deliver a message about their future destruction to his enemies. Even though it's peace time, it still wasn't something he was excited about doing. And so instead of following and doing what God wanted, he heads to the, you know, the coast, he boards a ship, and he decides he's going to go as far away as possible from the mission God had given him. He, he decided he wanted to go to Tarshish, which is about 2,300 miles away. At the southern tip of Spain, he couldn't have gotten any further away from the location God was sending him. And in his fleeing and his rebellion, the Lord provided this and stirred up the, the sea to where... Eventually, he gets thrown overboard when he admits he's running from God. And the storm that was caused was really his, 
his doing. He's thrown overboard, and he's sinking to his death. He's In his mind, he's crying out to God, God, save me. I'm calling you. Please help me. I'm dying. He's, he's going to swim with the fishes. If you read Jonah chapter 2, he's, he's talking about all these things running through his mind as he's going to his death. Well, the Lord sends this great fish to swallow him, to protect him, and really save his life. He's in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. You may think, that's crazy, that's impossible, and I check out right there. I'm going to leave. I'd encourage you, even if that seems ridiculous, it is a miracle. And so it would require a miracle for God to do this. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which is a miracle. And so I believe, you know, that miracles are possible. And so if God chose to use a great fish to swallow a man who's sinking to his death, he can do it. I believe in a God who can, who can do miracles and performs miracles. But if, you, if you're stuck there at that point and you're like, yeah, this is ridiculous, well then just consider it like how you watch movies that inspire you. You watch movies about heroes, and they're all fictional, but you get inspired to change things in your life, and so you're challenged. So I'd encourage you to figure out what category this is for you, but I'm going to talk about this in, in a historical sense as far as looking at this book. But Jonah, when he rebelled, he learned certain lessons. When God rescued him, he learned that um, it's easy to receive grace, but it's hard to give grace. He was very, very grateful that God sent a rescuer, this great fish, to swallow him. He was grateful and he was ready to receive whatever help God offered him. The life ring from God was this great fish. He was ready to receive that. But he was very, very um, against giving grace or mercy to his enemies. He did not want to go and share hope or offer hope to his enemies. And that, I think, is something we can identify. We like help. We like God's grace, but it's hard to offer it to people. That's one of the lessons. Secondly, God prepares some people to change. He, he, he actually works from eternity past. We looked at last week. He's working. In the course of our lives, he begins to call us to himself. People respond to him, and you have a future in heaven. So there's this whole process of God changing our lives. It didn't just start with you being born. It started with God in his mind, his plans, before he even created the world. God was working out a plan. And so when we share with people, like if I was Jonah and I'm sharing with people, one of the things that Jonah learns is that God actually was working before the events of him going to this place, Nineveh, which he later goes to to deliver a message. God was actually working on the hearts of those people, preparing them for a day when a prophet would come and share a message of hope, and they actually turned their lives over to him. They turned their lives to God, and they were spared. We, we can benefit from understanding that because it helps us gain confidence when we're sharing with others. If I'm just sharing at will with people and I think it's all about me and what I say and how slick I can say it, then I'm putting a lot of stock and pressure in my own message, in my own good, in my own ability. But if I believe, you know, when I'm sharing with this person about my spiritual life, that God has been working from eternity past and that he's possibly calling this person to a relationship, and it gives me confidence. It helps me share with way more boldness and confidence knowing that God is working. This is a part of God's plan. I'm joining him in it. So that's the first three chapters of Jonah in a nutshell. Jonah does go to Nineveh. He shares this message of hope. The whole city, from greatest to least, turns in repentance, in brokenness and humility to God. They change their lives, and God spares this city. What I want to do this morning is look at Jonah chapter 4. It raises some different questions that I want us to consider. 
The first question is this, and it's, it's not up on your listening guide or up on the screen, but it's the question of why did you come to church this morning? What motivated you to get out of bed to make your way down here this morning? It might have been someone drug you here. It might have been you were meeting someone here. It might have been that you have a responsibility. Maybe you're serving in some way and they're counting on you being here. Um, or maybe it was on a positive, like, I really want to grow. I, I, I desire to learn. I desire to grow. I wanted to go to worship God. I wanted to be a part of this church. But why, why do you belong to a church? What is the motivation? What is your motivation? Why are you part of this? Think about that for a moment. Why am I really here? The motivation question is really important to ask because <clears throat> it reveals the heart. You know, we get a clear picture of our heart. And it's okay that sometimes we recognize that my motives aren't right. My motives can get skewed and off track. It's better to admit when my motives are mixed and to really just deal with what is. I remember a few times when my motives really kind of surfaced at church. Um, even as a kid, I had to go to church. My dad was a pastor, and so I had no choice. But going to church as a kid wasn't an option. But around elementary school, I recognized that every Sunday, never fail, we'd like go to Pizza Hut after church. And so my motivation was, and my parents, if I was good, would give me more tokens to play the video games at Pizza Hut. So motivation started raising. You know, I'm getting some out of it. Play some Street Fighter. You know, get to play some games. As I got older, um, when I was in junior high, I was like, if you can imagine, I was a really short guy. You know, And uh, so in junior high, I was a really short guy. And I was like the little brother to a lot of um, high school girls which had its benefits, you know. And so as a, high school, as a junior higher, you know, it wasn't hard to go to church because I enjoyed the attention that I got as everybody's little brother, you know. And in my mind, it meant something, but it meant nothing to them, obviously. So, But I'm sure if we're honest, we've all had seasons of our life where we, you know, where the motivation, you know, or attending church or pursuing our faith really was about what am I going to get out of this? And that might be your motivation. What's in it for me? If I plug into a church or if I get up and go to church, what's in it for me? Like, what's the point of all this? I would suspect that we're a mixed group. You know, we're a mixed bag. We want to be a part of a church where our concerns matter, where our interests are considered, or, or even where our voice and our opinion is heard. You know, that our motivation, you know, is usually tied to what I get out of it, what I really want. And it's hard not to think about you know, we talk at church about the concerns of the city and, you know, churches are, exist to reach those who are far from God, people in this city, people in these neighborhoods. And it's easy to think, yeah, that's, that's important. And I'm sure that the pastor, that's his concern. That might not be your concern. It might be your concern. And I guess I'd ask you, is that a concern of yours? The people that are far from God that live in these neighborhoods. Certainly something on my heart. Part of the reason why we started a church here. Um, but even my own motivation as it ties to that concern sometimes wavers. Because sometimes I can think, yeah, God, there's this great city, and there's all these people that are far from you, and that's your concern, God. That's your problem. I got, we have enough on our plate. And so all of us collectively, we have just different motivations. We have different motives that crop up in our life. And I think in Jonah chapter 3, this whole issue of revealing motives really raises to the surface. Chapter 3 ends with Jonah going, like I said, and him being shocked at the fact that the Ninevites turned their lives to God. Look at what Jonah chapter 4 begins. It says this, 
you like, you can follow along and you're listening to guys. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. The reason why he was displeased is because God didn't wipe out the city. He was mad because everybody from greatest to least repented and turned, and, and God spared this group of people that he had planned to destroy. So Jonah was very displeased, and he became angry. Literally, he was hot. When it's the, the term here, it means he was boiling. He was so hot in anger. Verse 2 says, He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, this is not what I said, or is this not what I said when I was still at home? Meaning, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that if I went and carried this out, I told you so. He has this little temper tantrum. He didn't want this group of people to turn around. And he says, That is why I was so quick to flee from Tarsh, flee to Tarshish. Then he makes one of the most profound statements that you find anywhere in Scripture. At least something peculiar for the Old Testament, especially from an Old Testament prophet. He says this. If you struggle with understanding or just if you have doubts about God's grace, let this sink in a little bit. He says, I knew, Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah, what he does, he reaches back into the archives of his experience with God and he just he makes this bold statement about who God really is and God's character. He knew this about him. And he liked this about him as long as it benefited himself. But as soon as it benefited his enemies, he was angry, he was pouting, he was whining. The point in your outline says God looks for opportunities to extend grace and compassion. He's scanning. God is looking for opportunities to extend grace and compassion. It takes God a long time to to become angry. That's what this verse is saying. He's slow to anger. As opposed to those of us who just are kind of boiling, like ready to explode and something happens and bam, we might snap. God is slow to anger. He overflows with love, it says. He often chooses not to give sinners what they deserve. This is, this is very different than you and I. And Jonah, again, he was fine with that. As long as God's compassion and grace was directed at Israel, the people of Israel, God's people. As soon as God decides to aim that compassion towards people outside of Jonah's strike zone, he was not comfortable with it. He was so distraught over this that we come to verse 3 and he says this, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to live, to die, than to live. He was ready to be just thrown back in the sea. Verse 4 says, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? He was so quick to get angry. He couldn't find compassion for this group of people. He was just steaming mad. So what does he do? Jonah went out, verse 5, and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Maybe he's secretly hoping that God would have a change of heart. So he's standing far enough away, just in case, in a sense, God decides to just unleash fire down from heaven on this city. And he's just watching and waiting. And he's, he's really, again, he's not excited. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord God provided a vine. Now this phrase, God provided. I, I want to encourage you to circle it. Because this shows up throughout the book of Jonah. God provided a mission to Jonah. Then God provided a great storm on the sea. He provided a great fish. Here, God is providing a vine. What we're learning is not only just about Jonah's life, but we learn about God himself. God is the one who's sovereign. He's in charge. He provides. Now look at how this this phrase keeps popping up. Then the Lord God provided a vine, and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. 
And Jonah was very happy about the vine. He's just, he's really thrilled about this. Shade is a good thing, right? For those of us who live here, shade is a good thing. Nobody likes when it's 110 outside to be standing in the sun, just direct sun beating on. For those of you who work in the sun, you know, you know, I see guys up on roofs. They got easy ups up on roofs when they're working on something, right? They're, they, you know, they're not typically just out in full sun. You know, they're shading themselves. Shade is a good thing. Here Jonah is for a moment. He's happy. He's comfortable. His needs are being met. His concern, his own well-being, you know, it's being addressed. Now, this is what sounds familiar to us. We like our concerns being met and our needs being, you know, addressed. And we like to be happy and to be, to be thought well of and to be treated well. Verse 7, But at dawn, the very next day, God provided, again, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided, again, a scorching east wind. This is known as a Sirocco. It's a hot, zero-humidity wind that would blow in from the desert, and typically it would change the temperature within a few minutes from 15 to 20 degrees. And so he, he now has no shade. He's in full sun. It says, And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than live. He says this again. The sun, the wind, everything, it just sends him to start grumbling. Verse 9 says, But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, how often, you know, we get worked up over things. Jonah here, he wanted justice. God insisted on mercy. This is a big difference for us. So often we want justice. Jonah was just like pounding for the justice thing. Jonah wanted justice while God insisted upon mercy, upon sparing these people. Have you ever been at a point like this to where you would want to bring down the hammer towards a coworker? You want to really bring it down on someone because of what someone did to you, your friend, your enemy, and you just want them to pay, but God keeps leading you. He keeps moving you towards compassion. And you're thinking... How could I be compassionate towards this person? They don't deserve it. Again, God, you know, he insisted on mercy. That was not on Jonah's thinking. That wasn't high. Jonah wanted justice. God, give them what they deserve. That's the little bullet there in your outline. The story of Jonah, it kind of ends abruptly. With Jonah entangled in somewhat of a moral dilemma, here are the two final verses in the book of Jonah. Listen in a moment. Just listen to God's question. He asks Jonah a question. And then he also expresses his own concern. So look at verse 10. It says, But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Pause there for a second. Think about your own concerns. Some of the things that we get worked up over, our great concerns, they're kind of ridiculous. The things that spring up from one night to the next, Aren't they a little bit ridiculous at times? For me, if I really have my heart set on eating somewhere, I want to eat at Chick-fil-A. And I can taste it. I can taste the Polynesian sauce and the Chick-fil-A sauce and just these things I've come to really enjoy. And then I realize it's Sunday, and Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. And I'm all worked up over this whole thing. And, and, I get, and then it may put me in a grouchy mood because now I've got to eat something else. 
you've been so concerned about this vine. He's telling Jonah, a plant. This plant has sprung up overnight, and now it's dead. You couldn't have any time to get attached to this plant, Jonah. You didn't, you didn't drop seed in the ground, water it, work on it for a while, and then, oh, look at this plant that I grew. God provided this plant for temporary shade and refreshment. Verse 11 says, so first he raises Jonah's concern, and then he says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Look at God's concern versus Jonah's concern. Our concern, our great concerns versus Jonah's. God's concerns, they differ from ours. <clears throat> this is clear. I mean, we've kind of seen this throughout this, this book of Jonah. God's concerns, they're just far different than, than yours and mine. Again, Jonah did, didn't do anything to, to create this plant. God is saying, look, it's just a plant that I brought for your comfort. I, on the other hand, God is saying, I created these people. I'm concerned about this whole city of people, people I created, men and women who, in their understanding of me, they're like children, is what he's saying. They don't know their right hand from their left. In their relationship to God, he's, God's saying, these people I, I care for greatly. On Jonah's list of concern, the people of Nineveh, they ranked way down here as far as their welfare. His shade and comfort, that was way up here for Jonah. And honestly, this was self. For Jonah, this was my needs. For us, this is my needs, my great concerns, my wants, my wishes, my desires, my comfort. So big question. What, what does God think about your great concerns? What are those things you're deeply concerned about right now? And ask, what, what does God think about those things? And then ask the question, what do I think about God's great concerns? You know, this whole city of people Jonah's being challenged with, this group of people that God created, for us, this whole neighborhood, this whole city that we're a part of, this whole region of Southern California, God's saying, there's people I created. What do we think about God's great concerns? I, I really think the book of Jonah, man, it just challenges us over and over and over about who are we going to relate to? Who are we going to reach out to? Who are we going to make time for? What kind of priorities are we going to slate out in our own life? Jonah, his sin was that his religion was really all about him. That was his great sin. His religion, his faith, was all about him. While he did eventually surrender to God's will, he went and carried out the mission, he went to Nineveh, he eventually surrendered to the will of God, but he never surrendered to the purposes of God that we know. We don't read, this story ends here, we don't get to see that Jonah got on board with, with what God was trying to do globally. God has this global message of grace. It was to go beyond Israel to the, to the non-Jewish world as well and to open out and to just keep reaching out. We don't get to see that Jonah's like embracing that. In fact, he's really resisting that. And for whatever reason, he never could really embrace that. And he's not alone. When you open up the Scripture and you head into the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene, we discover that the sin of Jonah was really the majority view of the early church. The early church was divided over the same issue. And truth be told, it's, it's an issue that we have to wrestle with at every generation. Who is church for? Who are we going to reach out to? God, we got enough going on here with our people, with, with who we're relating to, with who we're, you've already said be responsible to help grow. Why would we 
Why would we branch out? Why would we reach out? Why would we continue to try to reach new people? Or why would I, as, a, as an individual here, why would I make time for others? i got enough on my plate, God. I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work my job. I'm trying to take care of my family. Why would I? These are questions we ask. Take some inventory on those things. Here are some questions you want to consider. Who are the Ninevites in your life? Who are those people that you're not interested in reaching out to? Who are those people that you'd rather just fire come down out of heaven and wipe out? Maybe it's an individual. Maybe it's a whole group of people. Maybe it's a whole segment of the population. This group of people, they're just out of your strike zone. And maybe God keeps surfacing people in your mind that you think, yeah, that's kind of my Ninevites. These are the people that I refuse to, to show grace to, to show love to. If you're a leader of something and you have responsibilities over groups of people, if you have a staff of people, it might be that you have people that are easy to lead and then people that you'd like rather just write off. And you'd play your favorites with this group of people, but you're not going to extend much grace and love towards this other group. How does that challenge you? Who are the Ninevites in your life? Secondly, who are the people whom you have a hard time extending grace to? It might be a large group of people. Maybe it's people with money. Maybe it's hard for you to, to be gracious to people who have money. Or maybe it's hard for you to be gracious to people who don't have money. Maybe it's hard for you to be gracious with people with a certain color skin or a certain belief system, or a lifestyle. This is where this issue gets real personal with us. Because, again, we all have our strike zone. Group of people we we feel comfortable with. Whose downfall, here's another question, whose downfall do you secretly hope for? Or here's another, who do you secretly wish would get what you think they have coming to them? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's someone who, who hurt someone close to you. Maybe it's someone who's hurt you. Maybe it's an ex-husband, an ex-wife, an ex-boss. At some point, this issue gets very personal, but it's not much different than what Jonah was dealing with in this passage. So once you have someone in your mind or a group of people in your mind, look at this next point. Someday, God may assign you the task of extending grace in their direction. This is really where it's between you and God. But if he decides you're the person for the job to show grace to the person that you've just written down or the group of people you've just written down, then you will have a brand new appreciation for our friend Jonah and his struggle with grace and his struggle with extending grace and love to people that you think and he thought didn't deserve it. Imagine, though, for a moment what our lives would look like. Imagine what our relationships, what our church community would look like if we refused to make our faith and our obedience to God just about ourselves. If we required God to motivate us because it's going to meet our needs alone, what if we decided, we just decided, I want to please you, God. My motivation is to to simply to please you, to trust that you'll meet my needs, my great concerns, if I'll get on board with your great concerns, God. If our motivation in our life and our faith would match God's purposes, then I think God can do far greater things in our lives in our families, in our church, than he could do if we just keep saying, here's my limit, God. Here's what I'm comfortable with. If we'll allow him to stretch us towards his purposes, he can do so much more. Jonah, I mean, this is the end of Jonah. Jonah is a really brief book in the Bible, four chapters. But it's a book that really helps us get a glimpse of life and people through God's eyes. Just from God's perspective, it really challenges us. 
Would you take out that white connection card that you that you received that was in your bulletin? And uh, you'll want to begin to, or you'll want to finish filling this out. And like Bruce mentioned, if you'd like to sign up for a group, you can do that on the back. We'd love it if you'd start signing up so we can begin to take a look at if we're going to need more groups or, or how we're going to land on this whole thing. And then there's these next steps. Would you consider taking one of these next steps? In, in a few moments, our, our ushers will be um, coming around to receive our tithes and offerings. And so make sure you drop this white card in there when, when they come around. These are the next steps on the back. Maybe one thing is to memorize Jonah 4.2, the, the latter part. It says, You're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Or maybe it's maybe the next step you feel for today is pray for a person or a group of people who you find it hard to extend grace towards. It could be that the starting point for you is to just begin praying. It's hard to relate to certain people, individuals. It's hard to rate, relate to certain groups of people. But maybe the starting point is to just to begin to pray for them, to pray for that person or that group of people. And then if the Lord really, through your time in praying, leads you to act in a certain way, then obey. Pray and obey. The last thing there would be sign up for a growth group to connect with others and grow spiritually. I, I, we just keep reiterating the importance of connecting with other people for your spiritual growth. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes up. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and just the way that the stories in the scripture connect to real life. And that though this story that we've looked at happened nearly 2,800 years ago, the issues that Jonah faced aren't that different than our issues. We struggle, God, when it comes to loving people. We struggle to get past ourselves, to move past just our own concerns and things that benefit ourselves in order to obey you to join in your mission of saving this world. Lord, I pray that for those of us who know you, we would be on board and on mission with you daily. That you keep just leading us towards compassion when we would want justice. Help God, move us away. Move us more towards compassion towards others. Challenge us, God, with who we may have closed out of our life individuals or groups that we've closed off and the people that you love and that need you and apart from you are cut off Lord and, and headed for an eternal destruction and God I pray that you would help us to not just stand by and just be like Jonah pouting and Lord but that we would be eager to join you in your redemptive work Thank you, Lord, that you've reached down into our lives, God, and that you've picked us up, God, given us a way to know you through Jesus and received us into your kingdom, Lord, into your family. I pray that for those here that have not yet decided to make you boss, Lord, I pray that that would be a burning issue in their mind to settle this issue of getting right with you. I pray that you would lead many people to do that, God. We just pray that this week you'd help us to make application of this message even God in our relationships help us to be more gracious and loving and intentional with the people you've called us to reach out to in Jesus name we pray amen